Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Well, my name is Dave. If you're new to our church, I serve as the lead pastor here. I have been doing that for going on 20 years now. I preached, I think, like a thousand messages to this congregation. Uh, And some of you have been here for like all thousand of them. And today we are in the midst of probably two-thirds of the way through a series we've been working through called Life-Changing Conversations. And the idea behind this is there's so much talk today and so little of it is worth anything. And we are probably in the most noisy period of American history But the vast majority of the sounds and words spoken and heard are virtually worthless. And that's why I think if we're going to have conversations at all with our loved ones, our friends and family, or with people who believe differently from us, who are far from God that we know and worship, that we need to engage each other in more meaningful levels of conversation. People's lives change through conversation. In fact, that's how we learn how so many things in life work, is by listening to someone share their their story, and then we share ours, and we come to an understanding together through dialogue. And so I I really believe this series is going to be important for us, and I hope that you've seen the practicality of a lot of uh, the messages that have been in this series. I hope that's already affected your conversations with people very close to you. My hope is you will cross that divide and begin having meaningful conversations with people who also believe very different things from what you believe. This morning, we're going to talk about the art of welcoming. And I think welcoming is important because one of the most vulnerable times in a person's life is when they're new, when they are the ones coming into a place or into a group. And it's one of those times where especially an act of kindness and love is, an, is a real ministry, a real blessing to that person. You know, as Noah is getting closer to the age when he's going to take off for college, I've been thinking more and more about what his experience at college is going to be like. And I've been reminiscing a little bit about what my first days were like. And I know this. So much of his college experience is going to ride on what happens in the first couple of days. I know that was the case for me. I'm not proud of it, but I spent the first two weeks of my university career playing poker nonstop when I was not in class. When I wasn't in class or playing poker, I was playing tennis, and then every once in a while, I ate some food and I slept a little. (laughs) And I did that because the first guys I got to meet played poker all the time. And I realized that God had to rescue me from my first two days of college which became the first two weeks and would have become the first four years, I think, (laughs) had God not gotten me off the track. And really, it was all down to this. It was who said hi to me first. Who was kind to me first? Who acted like they were interested in who I was, a lowly freshman wandering about lost with the deer in the headlights look in my face? And I think that's the truth for all of us is every one of us has had the experience of being new somewhere, right? Some of you, you're in that place right now at this church, and it's not comfortable. And when you're the new person in any setting, you really start out as an outsider looking in. 
And you see all these people who seem to know each other, and really your entire experience will hinge on the initial experience of who greets you, who accepts you, who welcomes you in, and likely the first people you have meaningful conversations with will become your permanent friends in that place. They will become the first people you deeply connect with for a period of time. If you're welcomed, if you're accepted, your heart opens like a flower. But if you're not welcomed, if you're ignored, if you're even rejected, your heart closes up like a sphincter. I I use that word intentionally. I want you to remember (laughs) that visual graphic image. You know how things pucker up when you're anxious, when you're anticipating pain? I want you to picture that. Well, don't, don't picture too graphically, but picture it. That's what happens to the human heart when it feels threatened or neglected or rejected. And for some people, their first steps into a new place, a new group, that's exactly what happens, is they're just not embraced. They're not welcomed. And no matter what you do afterwards, you're repairing damage at that point. You're starting from way back here, trying to get them to trust again, to open up their hearts. And so I'm not sharing any of this as a recruitment strategy. This is not designed to get the new people while they're vulnerable and scared. It's to show you if we're Christians, one of the greatest gifts we give someone else is to genuinely love them in places and times when they're not feeling safe. To not do this to grow our church. You guys have been here long enough to know I don't really care about growing the numbers here. What I care about is that we take care of each other when we're here that we love one another truly, that we're unselfish in the way we do that. And one of the most loving things we can do is take someone in their most vulnerable place and bless them with an act of kindness and friendship. I think that most of us, we send off signals, a vibe, whether we know we're doing it or not. And really there's two kinds of people in the world. One kind says, hey, welcome. Come in towards me. Talk to me. I will be nice to you if you venture out. And other people go, Go away. I don't want to talk to anybody right now. I'm not in good. I don't want to be here. I'm only here because I have to be. And you know, there are people who, whether they realize it or not, and for some of us, it's just the luck of genetics. You're born with one of those um, resting countenances that is very off putting. What? I am happy. I, I'm ecstatic right now. I can't believe my good fortune. You know, like, and there are people born with that face, and I get it you got a challenge ahead of you, man. Because nobody else isn't on the secret that you're happy. And so it's important that we recognize the vibe we're sending off because if we want to have life-changing conversations with people, people have got to want to have conversations with us, period. And if we're scaring people off with our vibe, you're going to have conversations with nobody. And I get that some of this is natural wiring, it's personality, but life is full of challenges like that. I love basketball, and I'm like three foot five. So because I love a sport that requires height, I've got a natural inbuilt challenge I have to overcome to be good at it, don't I? I wish life was fair. I wish I had John Warden's height, but I don't. <laughs> Thank you. He said he'd give it to me. Uh, <clears throat> I want us to make a practice of growing in this area of being welcoming as human beings towards one another. And I think, like anything in life, we can grow if we're intentional about it. 
And so I want to share with you some principles on how to grow in the act of being welcoming to other people. The first is learning the importance of belonging. Because at the heart of welcoming is this dynamic of belonging to someone, to something, to some place. Listen to what Jesus said. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. You know, a lot of people have opinions, strong opinions about how Christians should behave. Don't they? I mean, I've heard the whole spectrum of opinions about how I as a Christian ought to be. But Jesus also had some strong opinions about how Christians ought to be. And in Matthew chapter 25, he draws some very clear lines. He says, there are people who follow me and they're like this. And there are people who have nothing to do with me and they behave like this. And he gave that clear teaching to ask us, which one are you? And what he said remarkably was, you have a very good read on where your heart is by how you act. Which is a very un-American thing, isn't it? Don't judge me by what I do. I get to tell you how I feel, where my heart is. Never mind what I do. I know what I'm saying and what I feel. And Jesus goes, yeah, that's worth something. But in the end, we're not so divided as that. You can't separate what you really feel and believe with what you do. In the end, the two things are the same. And so he says, if you're one of my people, you will do things like this. And as he gives this list, what's curious about it is it's a list entirely comprised of how we treat other people. And it's how we treat those people, especially who are in crisis and in a place of serious need, So that Jesus says, you will know whether you truly belong to me by how you respond to people who the world wants to ignore and reject. People who are in trouble, who are expensive to get to know, because they're not just coming to you wanting to bless you, they're coming with needs and with burdens. In some cases, those burdens don't go away overnight. They are what some people in ministry leadership refer to as gum stuck on our shoe. I was nice to you once, and now I just you're there everywhere. And I don't mean to demean someone by saying that, but that's sometimes what we're afraid of, is if I'm nice to you once, I'm going to have to be nice to you for the rest of your earthly life. That's just the nature of what it is to be Christ-like. And so Jesus gives this list, and in this list are some real serious crises. People who are hungry, do you know what it is to really be hungry? Not just, oh, I'm starving. I haven't had anything since that granola bar two hours ago. I'm dying of hunger. I'm not talking about that kind of. I'm really hungry where you're, you're watching your babies wither away because they can't have anything to eat. Do you know that by some estimates, one out of every five human beings has no way to access clean drinking water? Do you know what that kind of thirst is like, where you will literally stoop down on the ground and lick a a mud puddle just to get some water? Where you know that what you're drinking is going to poison you, but you're so thirsty you don't care. When he says naked, he doesn't mean there's anybody just nudist, just running around. It's not like American nakedness. We're talking about so poor, you can't even cover your shame. Who would choose to be naked in front of others if they had any choice at all? And so what he's talking about is somebody who's scandalously poor and cannot even cover their shame. How about those who are sick? That has touched us, hasn't it? 
And we know how desperate it feels to be the victim of an illness over which you have no control. What about being in prison? That's touched our church family before. And I got to tell you, it is a really, really isolating experience from what I've been told to be locked away somewhere and know that every day outside those bars, the world goes on without you and has forgotten you exist. So these are some serious issues. And Jesus says, I care about these people. Their suffering breaks my heart. It's hard for me to ignore what's going on in the world. And I deeply care. And when he was here, he has the right to say this to us. Because when he was down here for three short years, that kind of stuff obsessed him. It is what he spent his time doing was he was fighting people who were very much in crisis. And he kept consistently meeting their needs. And in the midst of this list of very serious issues in the human experience, forms of suffering, he throws in this weird thing. He goes, oh, and, you know, you should also welcome strangers. I was like, how did that make it onto the list? I get hunger and thirst and poverty and sickness and imprisonment. Those are serious things. But then, oh, also, if there's a stranger, welcome them. And I first read that and go, Jesus, sometimes you throw in that real loopy thing that doesn't belong. One of these things is not like the other. But I, I began to get it. Because what he's saying is, though those obvious physiological needs are very pressing and important, the stranger is experiencing another very basic need, and that is the, the suffering of being alone and isolated and disconnected from your fellow man. And what Jesus is saying, what what a psychologist named Abraham Maslow would later put into a form of a triangle for us, is he's saying this is how the order of human needs go. If you don't have food and water and a little bit of money, if you can't cover your nakedness, if you don't have shelter, if you don't have health, if you don't have freedom, those things are very hard to ignore and they're going to get in the way of everything. But once those needs are met, you're going to realize the next greatest need is the need to connect to your fellow human being. Why do you think even in prison, which, can we agree, is already a punishment? They have a punishment worse than prison. What is that? Solitary. Solitary. The whole. That even in a place of punishment, the greater punishment there, because you figure, what can you do to me? Oh, we got stuff we can do to you. We can make you be alone. Dun, dun, dun. You think like somebody who's going to be in this place for the rest of his life is like, oh, not that. But the amazing thing is that terrifies prisoners. That it's bad enough to be in, but to be in alone is unbearable. It even introduces psychoses. It makes people go insane when they're disconnected. And what Jesus is saying, what Maslow would later on go on to say is, when the creaturely mammalian needs of human life are satisfied, even abundantly, even if you have more food than you need, more water than you need, more if all of that is taken care of, it still will not mask or substitute for the need to belong and to be loved and to love others. It is a basic human need. Maslow ripped Jesus off, man. I don't know why we call it Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The Bible says all this stuff already. You want to make a lot of money and a name for yourself? Just repackage the Bible. He's a pretty smart guy, Maslow. He, he, he helped bring this to our attention. That this is not some marginal, fluffy thing. 
You cannot be human fully without this. See, if somebody shows up to our church and is starving or thirsting or even naked, that definitely get our attention. If they're scandalously poor compared to the rest of us, you would not be able to ignore that issue. But somehow we're able to watch people withering away in isolation, trying so hard to fit in, to be a part of something, and it's hard for them, and we can watch that week after week after week and ignore it. It's possible, isn't it? Now, it's hard for me or the other pastors to ignore because we hear everything. Okay? And so we get to peel back the curtain and get the backstory of the church. We know there are people here right now who are really struggling to become a part of this. They're overwhelmed by the experience of wanting to be a part of something and finding it so hard to do. It's, it's very, very difficult. It's very painful. And I want us to begin by just acknowledging that's not a small kind of suffering. It becomes the most important kind of suffering in a land like America where food and water and clothing are not issues for us. It is where people struggle the most. And let's acknowledge how important that is. A second insight I want to to give you is we have to learn the importance of bringing the outsider in. Bringing the outsider in. At the heart of it, welcoming is exactly that. It is taking someone on the outside and bringing them to the inside. In Hebrews 13, 1-2, it says this, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. The word hospitality, when it shows up in the, in the New Testament, translates a Greek word, phino, I'm sorry, it's philozenias, which if you literally translate it, it means, I love this, it means love for the stranger. Hospitality is not, hey, I know you forever, come eat some of my food, and let's tell old stories. That's hospitality too. But the purest form of hospitality If you want to say, I have the gift of hospitality, the best way to check that is how do you welcome strangers in? Are you the safe person that someone on the outside sees as the doorway into the house? Are you? Biblical hospitality is love for the stranger. And to be a stranger is essentially to be on the outside looking in, trying to figure out how do I get in there? Who wants to be an outsider forever? Nobody likes being the outsider. Do you like walking into a room and realizing that you were the subject of conversation before you walked in? Like, oh, she's here. She's here. Hey, what's up? No, we weren't talking about you. And you're like, wow, they're laughing. They're saying, and they all have this thing that they think about me, and I don't know what it is. How many of you just love that feeling? Like, that hasn't happened to me in a long time. I miss that. You you like it? I hate being the outsider. I hate being the new guy. I hate not belonging. I think everybody feels that. One of the hardest parts of a new job is not the increase in pay or the increase in in the the number of people, you know, direct reports. The hardest part is I don't know anyone there. And i got to go to a lot of after-hours cocktail things and Christmas parties with people who are strangers, and I don't like it. 
Hospitality then is giving the gift of belonging. You're already on the inside looking at people staring through the window on the outside and hospitality simply saying, I have an insider status and it didn't come easy or cheap. I spent a lot of years and a lot of time getting this insider status and I will now just open the window to you. I had to learn the secret handshake, the back doors, the codes, the locks, combinations. But for you, I'm just going to open the door and invite you to come in. We have some friends in the church. We fellowship a lot at their house. And I think they have the gift of hospitality because sometimes I'm very bold in inviting my own guests to their parties. I know we're good friends because I can do that. They always go, oh yeah, bring them along. I'm like, can, can this person come to your house for that thing? They always say to us, sure. Like, that's unbelievable. That there's no, well, who are they? Well, I don't know them. I don't feel comfortable. There's none of that calculation. They just go, yes. And as a result, my friends become their friends and so on. So it's, it's a beautiful thing when we just, without any conditions or price tag, open the door and go, everyone, get in here. What are you doing outside? Isn't that a beautiful picture of what hospitality is? Is every time you know someone's outside and you're inside, it's being generous with my insider status. It's saying, there's enough room in here. Get inside. I think this is where welcoming kind of puts together all the other skills I've been preaching about so far in this series. So I want to... Put, put together a quick overview of that in light of, let's say, welcoming somebody into the church who's a newcomer. That's something that could happen within the next 20 minutes. All right? So let's talk about that. Let's imagine the, the, the role play that we're going to greet somebody who we don't know very well, who's new to our church, and it encompasses all the other things I've been preaching about in the series. There's noticing. I think it's very uncomfortable to be an outsider. And because we're uncomfortable with it, we try not to draw any more attention that is necessary to ourselves. I don't go to a new place and go, hey, new guy, everyone. (laughs) Totally don't know anyone, really uncomfortable. Everyone look at me. You know what I do instead? I go, sometimes I get on my phone and act like I'm doing something really important. Oh, Oh, my. This text, I'm saving the president's life right now. Just don't bother me. And we do that so that people will get the the signal, I don't need anybody here, I'm okay, but if you want to talk to me, try to crack that nut, you know. We do that. We need a a cup in our hand just to hide behind. Yeah. Um, And we're uncomfortable, so it's, it's, they're motivated. The the new person is motivated to be invisible, because it's safer. That's why it's so easy to miss them, week after week after week after week. Do you ever have a painting in your house? You One day you're just drinking coffee and you go, huh, I forgot that was there. I'm seeing it all the time in my peripheral, but I forgot that we once bought a painting of a clown, a sad clown holding flowers. And why, what is that doing up there? People are like that. So we want to learn to notice, to really scan the room with a heart to look for the person who's strongly motivated to be invisible. There's also praying. I think before we cross the room to greet a person, we really ought to spend some time just praying, knowing that for some people, and let's just, let me just break it down to you this way. If you are new anywhere and you're an adult, you've got a story. Because 
to be new here, you had to leave something that you loved that was comfortable for you. Something that was a place called home. Am I right? Nobody came to this church and was like, I've never been anywhere before. Harvest is the first place I've ever been. Nobody, come on, nobody has done that. It might be the first church you've ever really been a part of, but it's not the first new place. And if you are here and you're new, you have a story of loss, of parting, of pain, of change. Something that cost you a great deal because you came for a reason, but it was not easy for you to make that change. And I'll bet you, you have a story of people you miss, of disappointments, of longings. And that heart does not open easily, does it? Even if everyone tells you we're here for a good reason, everything will work out. And in your mind, you know it. But in your heart, you're so slow to catch up. I really believe when we pray for those who are new, we invite the power of God to open their hearts because it's not easy to be new anywhere. I really think that we have to make it our regular practice every Sunday morning to say, Jesus, I'm going to church today and I'm comfortable there, but there are going to be some people who are not. And I just want to ask you to meet them where they are and help bring them in. There's also asking, asking questions that invite a real answer. If you just go, hey, are you new? Here's how the conversation will go. Yeah. You can ask questions and invite an answer. Hey, how'd you find your way to our church? If they just go, yeah, that's really awkward. Like, is it appropriate? They have to tell you a story. So we want to ask. And then, is there anything worse than when someone asks you a question like, hey, what's your name? Is there anyone else I could talk to right now? Is there somebody? And they're scanning the room. They're not even looking at you. Isn't that just so off-putting? When they're like, oh, excuse me, let me just check my phone like 20 times while you're answering my question. If we ask a question, we've got to learn to really engage and listen. And then lastly, just remind us that we're, it's, a, it's an act of loving. Welcoming is not a strategy to grow our numbers. It is an act of love. At its root, if you're not motivated by love for people, that's the thing you've got to ask Jesus to give you. Let me just say, some of us just need to ask Jesus to give us that. Because we're very diligent and obedient. We'll try to go through the motions, but the, the fundamental problem is we hate people. We're trying so hard to greet people we can't stand. Our fantasies are like everybody disappears, and I have the whole world to myself. The Quiet Earth, movies like that are like your fantasy come true, right? Really? They're all gone? It's just me and the books and the food. We want to bring the outsider in, employing every skill at our disposal. And let me give you one last thing. To become welcoming, to grow in that, is to learn to become a more open person. A more open person. Now, I know that the way God has knit us together and the way the world and life has conspired to make us, some of us are by nature very closed. We don't trust easily. We don't share much about ourselves. We have very high fences and far out boundaries, don't we? So that, you know, you're the kind of person everyone always has to ask permission. Uh, Can I ask you a personal question? 
There's some people like that. You just, you kind of sense it right away. Uh, can I ask you a personal question? What's your favorite gas station? Do, do you, um, and they're like, oh, not if your business where I get my petroleum products, you know. There are some people that just, they don't want to share anything. And I get that. But I think if we're going to engage people and make the outsider welcome inside, you can't do that as a closed person. You just can't. I know you'll want to, but if you want to, you've got to grow and change. You can't just stay as you are and want to obey Jesus in this. It's not something that's going to work. And so it's, it's your growth trajectory. It's your growth plan that if you want to be more welcoming, you've got to learn to be more open as a human being. Paul writes in the second letter to the Corinthians, man, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and we have opened wide our hearts to you. That is such a beautiful picture of the posture of the Christian life. That we, by our own choice, decide to open our hearts to you. It wasn't that you, Corinthians, finally cracked that shell and unlocked the key to our hearts. No, it's, it's this. We just decided we're going to open ourselves up to you. And we hope that that's going to have an effect on the way you respond to us. So what does it mean to become an open person, practically speaking? I don't have a video for you. I have something better. I have live-action role-play today. I want to give you a demonstration. I want, to, I want to illustrate for you several levels of openness, ways that we can learn to be more open. And that first level is an open posture, using our bodies as an instrument of hospitality. I want to invite Stan to come up. This is what happens when you join our staff, Stan. Um, <clears throat> And I want to demonstrate for you some of the ways we can use our physical body as a tool of welcoming. And I want to do that by giving you some do's and don'ts of an open posture. So first is do make eye contact. Hey, my name is Dave. What's your name? My name is Stan. Hey, great to meet you, Stan. Nice to meet you. Now, that's the right way to do it. Look at someone's face when you're talking to them. Don't be creepy and stare. You new here? Uh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. That's, no, don't do that. And also, don't do the opposite, which is, hey, what's your name? Uh, yeah, my name's Dave. What's your name? Stan. Yeah? yeah. Great, great. Cool. I won't know what you look like next week because I'm not even looking at you. Um, that's good. Now, another way to be open is, and this is a hard one for some of us, Smile. Smile. Now, do smile. Be like this. Hey, great to meet you. Your first time? Yes. All right, great. Uh, Smile. Be engaging. You'd be amazed what a simple smile does to draw a person towards you. Don't be creepy and leer. (laughs) That's creepy. Don't do that. And also, don't scowl. Hey, welcome to our church, all right? That, that's very off-putting, isn't it? Like, you see my face, and even if I say the exact same words, it's just off-putting when someone has, like, this unhappy face, and you're like, please don't ruin my day. Go greet somebody else. Here's another one. Stay focused and engaged. So when we're talking, you stay with the person. Hey, don't 
check your phone, don't look at other things. It's really, really discouraging when you know the person's trying to engage you, but really they don't want to be. They're going through the motions, checking off the tick box. And lastly, I think uh, this is, maybe this will make you uncomfortable, Stan, but use physical touch appropriately. This is, a, this is appropriate. Hey, great to meet you. Hey, can I introduce you to a friend of mine? This is John. He also loves Walgreens. Um, <laughs> That's a, that's a nice way to use physical touch. This is really inappropriate. <laughs> I am so glad that you came to our church. <laughs> are, you, are you uncomfortable? Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so you can sit down. I'll, I'll release you. Let's give him a hand. So you get the idea... An open posture is using your body, and some people just do this so naturally that when they are greeting me, I immediately feel drawn into them because I feel like I'm actually here. They see me. They are interested in me. And it's not an act. It's real. Like, they actually do want to get to know me. I want to encourage you to think about that, how you use your physical assets to just help people who are feeling vulnerable, unsafe, move from the outside in. Do's and don'ts, okay? Sorry, Stan. I know that last part was really hard for you. Don't resign. We, we like having you. Okay. <laughs> you get a, a 50% raise of zero. We're doubling your, your salary. Okay. All right. Here, here's another form of openness is an open circle. I think sometimes... If you've been on the outside, what you feel like is they're being really nice to me, but they don't really want me to be part of it. Do you ever feel that? Like, everyone's being cordial, so you can't say, they're a hostile church, they're a mean group, they're arrogant, they're mean. But the problem is, even though they're so nice, almost saccharine sweet, right? Oh, great, that's so great that you came. We're all going to go to eat lunch now, so we'll see you next week. And you're like, I-, I wish I could go eat lunch. It's awkward, right? When you're the guy who has to keep inviting yourself to everything, you're like, uh, I, can, I, can I come? And you could tell they're like, sure. We're going to go to the coffee house after without him, don't worry. You know? It's discouraging, right? And so an open circle is a really great gift. For you to be inside at the circle and say, you know what, we're going to, guys, scoot back a little. Let's pull in another chair. This is John. He's new here. John. This is everybody. Now, don't actually say this is everybody. That's also very off-putting. There are actual names there, so you introduce them. And that's what I think should happen. The key to nuclear energy in a reactor is a sustained and controlled chain reaction. Do you know about fission? Right? Neutrons. Are really... So this is how it works. You want to see this one atom affect another one and so on in a chain reaction that's controlled and ongoing. That's how you get power. When it's out of control, you get a bomb, okay? I think fellowship time and the act of welcoming should act very much like a chain reaction. If I just meet you, you've got one new friend. But if I introduce you to somebody else, you've just made two friends, and I've helped broker that experience in your life. Now, I'm not talking about a hot potato, hot potato. Here, there's your problem. Right? Hey, Mike, this is John. He's new, right? That's... That's really mean to do to that person. They know they're being ditched. They know they're being handed off. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying you listen, you engage, and you learn something. You go, oh, oh, you work for Walgreens, Stan. 
I know somebody else who works for Walmart. Where's Paul? And we just say, hey, uh, Paul works. He's not in your division, obviously. He's much more important than you, Stan. But um, he works for the same company. And so you say, you, you bring them together because what you're saying is you guys have something in common. I don't know if you would have found your way to that common connection in a million years. But now you know. How many times have you said this? I had no idea the guy in the queue next to me was a Christian. We worked together for 20 years. Because if you don't have somebody introduce you, you don't know everything about that person. And so you do that, but you don't just go, here, you two Walgreens guys, see ya. You stick around. Because you're brokering an introduction, you're not ditching someone. So you say, hey, listen, and as you're, as you're sharing, if it looks like it's going well, then you know, maybe you can say something like, hey, Paul, will you introduce him to Hannah, who also worked at Walgreens? And then you got a whole Walgreens fan club going there. And little by little, the chain reaction continues so that now this person is meeting several people, having several meaningful conversations, walking out feeling like, I actually talked to somebody. I actually can remember a name and a face for next time. That's hugely important when you're feeling like you're on the outside looking in. And finally, I think, well, there's the open door. The open door. Whether it's your home or your office, in general, try to avoid the closed door. Try not to to live your life behind the castle gates. I, I noticed, for example, that when a person has a closed door, I always am more cautious, more hesitant to approach them. Even if it's for some practical reason, like Pastor Frank's office is freezing cold, he's got a space heater, he keeps his door shut so he doesn't freeze his seasoned rear end off. And I know that's the case. But whenever I walk up to his closed door, I'm always given a moment of pause, like, oh, I hope I'm not interrupting him. I know that's why his door is not closed, but a closed door, regardless of motive, has an effect on everyone else. I'm not sure if I should bother Pastor Jared's door is always open, so I'm bothering him incessantly. Even when I want to talk to Frank, I talk to Jared just because the door is open, and so that's your, you should close your door if you don't want me to stop coming by. <clears throat> that's the way it works. An open door invites engagement. right? It just does. How open is the door to your home? Have you been to everyone else's house and nobody knows where you live? If you have like 80 cats in your house, please don't invite us over. that's great, just enjoy that by yourself. But for the most part, our home is one of the greatest ways to welcome the outsider in. An open door to your house is an open door to your life. And I want to encourage you, even if you are afraid of cooties or hate cleaning up after the guests, I get it. It's not easy for anybody. But I want to ask you to stretch a little bit. I'm not saying entertain every other day. I'm saying entertain once and see how it hits you to just open your home as a gift to others. Let me give you a couple quick life applications and we'll be done. The first is this. Whoops, wrong one. Welcome someone new into your life. Do it in the next 10 minutes. Decide today when the service is over and you're dismissed that the first encounter you will have after service is over is with someone you don't know that well. 
Your friends will still be around being as uncomfortable as you are for the first five minutes. You'll catch up to them later. But I want to ask you, find somebody that you don't know that well and just go, hey, my name is Dave. What's your name? How is it you've come to be at Harvest? Let me tell you how I came to be here. And just share a little bit. Get to know each other a little bit. Even if it's three, five minutes, I want to encourage you, welcome someone into your life. And can I just say at a church like Harvest, like half of you are new, and you're wondering why the other new person is not greeting you, because they're waiting for you to greet them. Nobody knows who's a veteran and who belongs here. So everybody act like the host and welcome someone in. If you're new, be bold today. Everyone else will think you've been here for 10 years. They just don't know. So welcome someone into your life. And as an extension of that, welcome someone into your home if that's not been your practice. I want to ask you to commit. If you live with someone, look at your roommate or your family member or your spouse and go, let's commit right now. This month, we will have someone come to our home as our guest. We want to use our home not as a hideout and a fortress, the crystal cave, right? But we want it to be a place of refuge for others a sanctuary of hospitality. Back in 2003, um, Drs. Will Miller and Glenn Sparks coined the phrase refrigerator rights. Do you guys know about this, refrigerator rights? This is how you measure your true intimacy with someone, is you can go into the refrigerator without permission and grab whatever you want. Those same friends that are always letting me invite people to their house, man, I've never once felt uncomfortable raiding their fridge. I think I do it excessively, in fact. I feel like I should get an invoice from their family on a monthly basis for how much of their food and drink I've consumed. And yet I've never once felt awkward or unwelcome. And to me, that's, an, that's for me a real reliable measure of friendship. Is do I, Can I just open your fridge and I'm thirsty? Do you want anything? I'm offering them their own stuff. Hey, I'm just going to get a drink. Do you want anything? You're like, what? It's my stuff. I bought all that. Isn't that a great way to think about, and who in your life has refrigerator rights outside of your family? If nobody does, can I suggest to you that you might need some friends? Let the Holy Spirit do that, what he will. I think the Spanish phrase, mi casa es tu casa, is one of the most beautiful ways to capture the Spirit. It's a greeting. You know what it says? My house, your house. Behave here the way you behave at home, unless you're a psycho. (laughs) Isn't it just a beautiful picture that my house, you just treat as your own house? That's the picture of hospitality. Will you open your home to someone like that? And let me give you one final life application. On a regular basis, choose to be an outsider yourself. Because if, if you, you know, here's how it works. Nobody wants to be the outsider, so we work very hard to get on the inside. And once we're there, I'm not going anywhere. These are my friends. And you know how you know that's happened to you? Someone invites you to something, and what's the first question you ask instinctively? Who's going to be there? Hey, do you want to go and do laser tag tomorrow? Hey, we're all hanging out at the park. Do you want to go to the park? Who's going to be there? And if the answer is, oh, a bunch of people you don't know at all. What's the likelihood you're going to say yes? For some of you, are like, new friends, yay! Those are the extroverts. They're like, oh. For most people, they'll be like, oh. Here's a perfect example of places you don't want to go. 
Your spouse's 25th high school reunion. Ugh. Who wants to hang out all evening with people your spouse knows real well who you don't know at all, including all their old boyfriends and girlfriends? And No, thank you. That is so awkward, isn't it? When you enter someone else's world. But can I encourage you to make a conscious choice on a regular basis to be the stranger and the new person somewhere? Because if you don't do it, you will forget what it feels like emotionally to be on the outside looking in. And those who forget are not sensitive any further. Those who forget what it feels like, well, they forget what it feels like. That's why sometimes doctors are the worst patients. Because like, ow, that hurts. That's so rude. Could you warm that thing up before you stick it in me? And then at, a, at some point, the doctor occurs to him, I do this to people every day. I just forgot what it feels like to be on the receiving end. Now, our doctors here at Harvest are all much more compassionate and caring. They, they warm all the towels and they warm their hands. I know, but I've had doctors who just like, hey, when's the last time someone did that to you, man? No me gusta, all right? It doesn't feel good at all. So, in order to sensitize ourselves, we've got to experience what it is to be the new person. We may give you an opportunity sometime this year to experience just that, so stay tuned. I think it's a good idea for us all, on a regular basis, to be the odd person out, the outsider, the visitor, the new person, and know what it feels like to want so badly to be welcomed. And when we experience that, I think God will awaken something in us emotionally and make us more welcoming ourselves. Would you bow with me in prayer? <clears throat> we can invite the praise team to make their way on up here and let's just uh, let's pray together I, I don't know what your experience has been as you listen to this but for some of you I sense you're the one in need of welcome it's been hard for you some of you have crossed the country even crossed oceans you have left behind a church a community a family that you love. Some of you have come here on the ashes of terrible heartache. That a church you really loved fell apart. And something you thought was going to be a part of your life forever is gone. And now you're here. And you're trying so hard to make this home. And it's not coming easily, is it? And I want to tell you that Jesus loves you. And he knows exactly what you're feeling right now. And he's glad you're trying your best. But it's not all up to you. He wants to pick you up and carry you. And someday, when you least expect it, he's going to make this home for you. If you wait on him, you trust him, you let him work, he will do what you can't do for yourself. You cannot make yourself feel at home. But God can do that for you, and he wants to. So just know that that's going to happen as you wait on him. He loves you. For those who call this place home, can I let you know that sometimes you're going to be the instrument that God uses to make another person feel safe and loved and welcome. Would you use your body? Would you use your influence, your circle of friends? Would you use even your home to be a place of welcome? 
for those on the outside wanting so much to be on the inside. I think it'll change your life as you do it. So in your own way, would you just now respond to the Lord? Let's pray together for a minute. And then the praise team will lead us. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.